0: going back to an earlier point you said people aren't going to do the hardcore work ethic thing unless you can make them believe in some kind of moonshot goal that's like saving humanity or something i can tell that story about twitter it is important vitally important that we have a place for discourse as an online society and that place is is reddit probably (laughs) (laughs) started during lockdown needed something to do you and so from a garden shed in a box room in west london they're discussing tech it's the podcast yeah welcome back
1: thank you you kept a steady ship nothing of interest actually happened as soon as i went on the day so i tried uh, to keep a lid on things yeah and, um, you kept the news cycle down to an absolute minimum <laughs> so i was not at all distracted whilst i was relaxing by just a barrage of crazy happening around the world. So, all good. In which case, what do you want to cover? I guess. There's nothing uh, to cover because nothing's happened. A quick view on the markets while I was
0: out? Sure, I I can do the last week or so because uh, I I took my eye off the ball, really. Um, Bitcoin's up 1% this week to $17,000, that's up 8% on the month. Ethereum is down 1.5% this week to $1,300, that's up 15% on the month. That sounds like a good story, but remember, a month ago was a bad situation. Since the start of November, FTX's token, FTT, (laughs) is down... 94%. 94%. Nasdaq and the S&P are down 3% this week after a couple of consecutive weeks of gains prior to that. That's because the jobs figures were... Okay, so what's been happening is the jobs figures came out. Those were looking good. And that, that people thought that meant the Fed was expecting to go easier on the rate rises. In fact, j Powell came out last week and hinted that maybe there's only a half percent rise this month. But then this week, the producer price index was increasing at a higher rate than expected so the markets have leveled off and that that brings us in about three percent uh down this week and that was this week stroke month
1: in crypto <laughs> markets which kind of hides a lot of the chaos to be honest it's quite nice it feels relatively stable a couple of things that i want to talk to you about because there's been so much buzz so buzz, buzz, obviously buzz. at some point we need to cover the whole ftx saga um I also want to get your opinions on what seems to be this the ongoing endless news cycle on Twitter, which we'll cover in a bit. Um, but have you noticed in the last I'd say about two weeks, there's just an absolute crazy amount of fun happening in the chat GPT space? Yeah. Open have AI, you been I on
0: think. have you been on chat GPT? I have. Everyone's talking about it. It's all over the Twitter. So you've been you've been chatting to the AI interface the chat well, interface i mean it's the same as what we've talked about before isn't it but it's just version three and it's we can got a it better before, right so it's got a better interface
1: yeah and i know with mid-journey and with the kind of equivalent for creating imagery we all experimented with it but then i was on holiday was getting spanned by have you tried this have you tried that and i mm. uh, the articles look good but i hadn't really given it time to experiment yeah so i have now um, um, because you had to you were on holiday the whole time you're on vacation yeah I tried to try to so what,
0: what kind of things did you put into first of all before we get going we on it, explain what it is. What did you yeah what is
1: it where were you where were you on holiday where, where, were, where were you on honeymoon <laughs> I was in Mauritius so uh didn't want to be sat at a laptop all day there's other things in life than tech laptops the internet and crypto and all this stuff you can actually just go swimming what is it What does it do? Chat GPT. So GPT-3 in 2020 was launched, which was essentially this deep learning model, a large language model that tries to predict the next word in your sentence. And that sounds really simple, but they've trained on so much data that essentially it starts to be really good at feeling like it can respond to certain queries and chat GPT is the first time they've opened this up to the public in a chatbot format, which is really easy to access. It's in a web browser. You just like literally type in a question um, and it's tailored. It's like the third version, I think, of the whole model where they've specifically tailored it to be more conversational. So it's gone through many, many additional iterations to take user feedback, which they've done in-house to kind of prioritize and give better waiting to responses that sound more conversational, like a chatbot. And yeah, you can just talk to it. And importantly, it's not actually an AI. So it's not... I know it's like by open AI and people say it's an AI, but it's not an artificial intelligence. It is It is a chatbot, but an incredibly good one.
0: What's, so. your, what's the distinction you're making there? Because AI is impossible to define anyway. Mm. So you're saying this isn't an AI because... <laughs>
1: Well, I think when people say AI, they're looking at something that is, uh, that has a level of intelligence, right? Like that can make decisions based on what we would quantify as like a level of intelligence, not sentiency necessarily, but, you know, some sense of, of agency. This has none of that. It is purely probabilistic. You put in queries, it comes out with a response that it thinks is the right way of stringing words together and it just sounds really convincing which is different from something that actually expresses some level of like intelligence and decision making you know driverless car decision making all around this you put in something you get something out that it thinks probabilistically is the right thing the right order of words
0: how does it seem to know so much so answer that question first, and then say some of the fun things you've been asking <laughs> it and what you've got back.
1: Uh, it, it how means how trained, does it seem to
0: know so much?
1: It's I mean, I've seen people so data.
0: ask it how to do programming yeah, yeah. and how to avoid certain types of errors in their code. And it will look at their code for them and debug it and tell them what the vulnerability of that code would be. I've asked it what I should get my dad for Christmas, oh, and it's told me... That you know, that I could get like martial arts ch- channels streaming, like or um, <laughs> some an- Android devices, uh, like really high end Android knows devices. It had really well, <laughs> so you could watch like if you were in a fight, you could record it at high definition for a long time with good battery
1: life. You're um, you're wondering how it knows your dad so well, aren't you? You're like, <laughs> how is this possible? Like, um, I don't
0: understand how my Google search box isn't doing this for me. Like, why are people well, using TikTok for search so when we'll they could that. be using GPT? Like, if you're saying the first version of GPT-3 was the autocomplete function that Google had five to 10 years ago, which finished our sentences and emails off for us at the end of the sentence, then like, how is this so, so much better? And why does it seem to know so much? I'm going back to my first question of the series. Yeah. How does it seem to know so
1: much? It's trained on a phenomenal amount of data that's scraped from the web. So every, you know, every publicly available site that you've got news articles, Wikipedia, you know, various press releases, lots of textbooks and things that have been digitized by Google, for example, which is why it knows how to code because it literally has been fed all the all the textbooks on programming languages and on on every on everything that you can imagine that's just on the web. They've just fed it and it's figured out how words flow in all of those pieces of content and I don't know technically how they've done the training but when you build what they call an LLM a large language model like this and you essentially start building this semantic model that it understands the most likely words that follow other words you get to state that now where it can quite convincingly say stuff that feels like it's the right thing. I'm about to jump
0: to the the end of the conversation. I'm going to skip to the end. So much of what we've done through our education and professional training has been learning to make the right noises. You know, when we're at school and we learn how to write an exam answer, we're not being told really, really how to think. We're often being told how to parrot the rote learning back in a fashion that sounds correct. And when even further education, it's very much about... Using the right kinds of expression and using the right kinds of thinking and construct to produce an answer in the format that people have come to expect as having the imprimatur of authoritative truthiness. Now,
1: you, you know, a question what, about, what you know I'm where I'm going what, with this, right? No, no, you, no, no, no what, Let me finish okay, the thought.
0: <laughs> so, so where I'm going with this is, like, that's all we've ever done. And this is doing that thing as well. But sometimes it, using its probabilistic model, comes up with stuff that is actually wrong. Mm. But then like, how is it that this isn't just, what's the difference between sounding smart and being smart? And and does it matter? (laughs) And then actually, like for the purposes of what people are going to use this for, which is to do their homework, um, is that bad? And if so, what would be like a morally better version of this? One that is capable of understanding the concept of
1: truth. What would that have to do? have to be able to be that. Yeah, I mean you've just asked like a dozen questions, but no, let me no, but let it's me It's a
0: simple question. What would be the version of this that recognizes
1: truth? How would you get there? That recognize I mean humans aren't even very good at like recognizing truth. We have that, This this doesn't, that, understand, any that this doesn't I, understand any of what it's saying. This doesn't understand any of what it's saying. You're asking questions that are like they make assumptions on what it isn't, which is kind of really hard to answer. So the reason all of those questions don't make any real sense in this is because the illusion of intelligence that it's giving is because it has this really good thing, which you said, of making sounds that, you know, people think, oh, that's how a human would respond. It also does it in a conversational way. It's been trained to... to respond in the context of what your question is so it doesn't just like spit out a google search result it actually frames it in the context of what you're asking which sounds very convincing and it has this preservation of state which i know that siri and alexa and everyone else has tried to add in but it does it, it actually works Yeah. It actually so works. you actually can respond. you can follow
0: through say say that again but shorter or uh, that was all right but did you change this aspect
1: of so it? many interesting use cases so i'll go into the use cases in a bit but i think your question but about that like,
0: statefulness is vital to get the sense of something that's useful because without statefulness what is it it's the most forgetful basically (laughs) any customer service you've ever dealt with in any organization it's like oh here you are again i've lost all your notes tell me from the beginning it's It's like going into a hospital otherwise
1: no but it can be it can be profound in one sentence but obviously being able to follow up and then tune it and ask follow-up questions does really help it makes it feel more aware and do you remember like it must have been six months ago. Blake Lemoyne, one of the Google engineers, yeah, um, got in a whole load of hot water and got fired because he mistook all of this as sentiency. And it's if I guess if you're exposed to it for long enough and you ignore all arts, of the erroneous crap. I Think I can
0: say this? He comes from an arts background, and I come from an arts background, and he thought it was alive. <laughs> but he it isn't. So it it's isn't.
1: Okay. It isn't. It happens anyway. Interesting use cases. I've tried some of these. I've seen better versions on the web. As usual, don't take any of these as thinking this is 100% what it does. A lot of the time, it will give you a dead end. I am just a trained chatbot. I am not able to make decisions on these, blah, 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 all those things. But some interesting things people have done, which I've tried out, summoning ghosts of people's pasts into a chat room. <laughs> so you can you can uh, basically ask it, I want you to act like you're simulating a chat room. Then when you say, you know, slash summon or something as a command, you can summon in Steve Jobs, I summoned in Elon Musk, and it will pretend to be them. You give the the command, you know, if you recognize names, then you should role play in that person. And it's really quite fun. You can get quite far. It will kind of try and answer to the best of its knowledge in the words that it thinks someone like Elon Musk would say about Space travel, or I asked about free speech and like all these things earlier until it gets really stuck. So that's an interesting use case that people have experimented with. It's really good at pretending to be a Linux terminal. So if (laughs) I guess because there's so much open source Linux stuff out there that it's trained on, uh, you can literally tell it to pretend to be a a Linux terminal and it will just respond to certain commands. And you can just use it like a computer and it's not computing anything. It's just (laughs) responding with... <laughs> it's 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 listening to your prompt and it's just responding with what it thinks the command in return would print oh, like okay. the console print that's it but it's quite doesn't sound as useful
0: as you're making it sound like it would be
1: that sounds useless. no 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 it, no because it's, so it's it simulates why you know it's quite weird right so didn't s- we
0: used to have to use this at work it was like a shell and then you, yeah, a yeah shell yeah. machine yeah so you've it's like a virtual Windows, desktop
1: right? it's a virtual desktop but which isn't connected to it. Which isn't connected. No, but which allows you to then uh, do do kind of weird things. There's an article we can put in the show notes from Ars Technica where they kind of go into detail about this because you can then try and basically get it to do really weird, I mean, it's like text based games where it's like oh, yeah. you were in a forest. What do you, yeah. you can basically do that through. The chatbot interface. There's no computation happening. It's just kind of oh, it's making up on the fly, which yeah, is pretty yeah, yeah, cool. right. Okay, well, it's, it's it's doing it so you on what you're telling it. you get to it. play Dungeons yeah. and Dragons with you. It, that's exactly what someone's done, right? And and that's quite an interesting use case that you know I don't think anyone was expecting. I've gone on some imaginary adventures with it, where you kind of just say, imagine we're walking through the forest and this and something happens. You know, what do you think? That's you. You know, what do you see or what does that look like? And it will come up with. Right bedtime stories. Thing. This is lame. Please um, continue. The Someone did a really cool thing, which I haven't tried, but you know a while ago we did the whole stuff around AI-generated images with Midjourney and we were trying to, you were trying to make some nights charging an electric vehicle. Correct. You can basically ask it to describe a really artistic scene. And it will come up with a whole passage of what that scene looks like and the sky and the colours and everything. So someone asked it about this futuristic cyberpunk universe. And then they dropped that into my journey. And the images that came up from it were just phenomenally powerful and, and creative because it's it's kind of, mm. yeah, That's it's spurred all a load of those things. But I think, like you said, the thing that people have found really interesting is as a teaching aid, Right. And I've asked it really complex questions about manufacturing execution systems or about, I told it to write me a program in Python to help me manage my finances. And it did a really Mm. good job. Like, I mean, I'm not a great developer, but it's like Mm -hmm. fairly convincing. Um, It set assets to zero and it set outgoings to zero. (laughs) right but then you can follow up and you can kind of change those and it seems to have a memory of those things which is quite cool anyway super interesting use cases there's going to be a ton of other things and i can't imagine what happens when you apply this to kind of npcs in games and stuff i mean that could be very interesting but there's always concerns on this have you seen the debates now that are starting to rage around they're taking all our jobs or the problems around bias that obviously this still suffers from in in tell me about the bias
0: tell me about the bias side of things what's been uncovered.
1: There's a really interesting lecture. I didn't watch all of it. I read the synopsis from someone at the Turing Institute who goes into the the problems of large language models and something called the stochastic parrot, which is the the probabilistic model that this is all based on. And how the bigger and bigger you get, the more powerful you get, as we're seeing, in terms of intelligent and useful responses but the more bias you get that you can't really police for. So you're getting, I think people have already posted a lot of examples where you're, you're still getting the biases that exist in the internet reflected in this. It's a reflection of what is out there. Racial bias, gender bias, age bias, everything else that kind of just comes up in the, the responses because it's it's predicting the next words. And if the next words are based on the training data set, which is humanity, it's it's got a lot of problems in it that can't really uh, be solved by manual intervention. So there's those type of problems. I don't think we're any closer to solving.
0: Noted. If we fast forward 10, 15, 20 years, or even just to next year, and you're submitting some coursework, and you're 14 years old, and you've obviously used this, and then the person grading that coursework has the equivalent adversarial software, which looks at whether how much of a percentage of the text is likely to have been written by this what are we doing with the concept of education? Like what what needs to change now with the way that school, classroom time, exam time, homework, written assignments, coursework works um, through school, through further education, through graduate, postgraduate work.
1: So where do you stand on this whole view when it comes to the positive aspects of this versus negative cuz like i i'm surprised how quickly we got here it was like
0: this was not very good and now it's like really good no, but like and so these problems should have come
1: up quite slowly but now like no, but, we're no, there no, but in, it's, it's like okay. i mean it's been in, it's been in like a private beta for ages. we knew these things would happen but i think a lot of people especially like regulators or, or, or parents or people in the education space will probably look at it and go how do we tell that someone is using it to write their essay right how do we enforce and police against it you yeah know, that's what they want to do but like you said a lot of exams really just test your ability to just write something that seems convincing it doesn't test your understanding and comprehension so it's kind of
0: neither does well, teaching so to a lot of experts a formal invigilated ways. exam is immune
1: to the effects of yeah but but coursework isn't and then also like the the teaching process itself i've learned a lot by asking it to summarize stuff you Mm -hmm. can ask it summarize what happens in the book summarize the relationships between the characters teach me about how the economy works i asked it about aviva med systems earlier and like telling me what the challenges were that are related to configuring one of those and i was and i know nothing in that space but i work with colleagues who do and i'm like This is quite cool. And then I asked them to verify it. And they went, it's quite high level and generic, but actually it's all quite common sense stuff. Hmm. And you can imagine there's plagiarism, which is a risky thing, but there's also a very useful and engaging way of maybe scaling up teaching capacity in a way that doesn't require, you know, someone might have a great teacher, other people might not have a great teacher. You might have really big classes or be remote. You can basically ask this and it has an incredibly rich data. The problem set. <laughs> hasn't
0: been people not having someone to ask. The problem has been guided learning with motivated, capable, ideally inspirational teachers standing at the front of a room. No, but I but think I, it is think having the, someone to ask, right? You have the, a class. The model of- is a bit confused anyway. Like in the post chat GPT world, a useful skill would be to evaluate the truth value of a series of claims. Mm. Evaluate the credibility of two comparative passages of text like which of these is more credible yeah and they can't um, do that that's what i meant by decision make, make assessments make assessments about tone which of these is more formal informal which of these uh betrays some sentiment if so what's the sentiment hmm. what's the bias underlying it? Th- that's kind of harder that's next that's the next order of if every layer of automation and AI in our society elevates the work that we, that we the humans are doing to the next level, then that's the ne- next level up. That's what we the supervisors of the AIs mm. are supposed to be doing. It's
1: not something we're being taught in schools. That would be useful. But I do think, you know, you said that the, the the problem isn't having someone to talk to. I think in some cases it is as a child. Like, especially in schools. You're in a class of like 30, 40, 50. You know, in some uh, developing markets, it's like class is bigger than 50 you don't actually have someone you can talk to about those things and actually this in in some ways actually can be a very engaging way of like learning because you're you are having a conversation albeit with a chatbot can i mention one thing that i did ask it which gave a very very funny but i think poignant answer to i asked it earlier what would you say if i told you that the uk had a prime minister who only lasted in office for 45 days And ChatGPT responded, I would say that it is a very short amount of time for a prime minister to serve in office. In most countries, the prime minister is appointed by the president or monarch and serves as head of government for a set term, often several years. It is unusual for a prime minister to only serve for 45 days and it could be the sign of instability or political turmoil in the country. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And and I thought that was quite... um, it, it, It was quite poignant. But then... Yeah, there the are. The data set
0: entered in 2021. So all the events of 2022 are a mystery to chat.gpt.
1: Which which is really interesting, right? I asked it about SBF. It had no clue who that was. It was like, I'm not a search engine. And that's why I thought the way you phrase these type of things can be interesting because it doesn't know what it doesn't know. But hearing that answer was quite interesting because if you had been trained on today's data, it would say, I think you're talking about Liz Truss blah, 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 who did blah, blah, blah. That's probably what it would say, but it doesn't know that. So it's it sounds like a, a
0: diplomatic answer. Like it sounds like what a foreign dignitary would say when asked about. You know, well, what would you say on this topic?
1: Well, I asked it. You know, what is what's the best filling for a Cornish pasty? And it gave me that diplomatic answer of all the types. Then I said, at what point does a Cornish pasty become a curry puff? And it said, a Cornish pasty and a curry puff are two different dishes. Here's what this one is, here's what that one is. Um, there's no specific point at which a cornish pasty becomes a curry puff as they're as they're so different. And then I said, if you had to pick one, which would be your favourite? And it said, as a large language model trained by open AI, I'm not capable of experiencing taste or having personal preferences. You know, so I think that's where you get to the point of, oh, okay, it's not actually intelligent. It is, I'm at the dead end. It well, can't I make mean, those decisions. It it's, would have been able to bluff, bluff its, its way, way through
0: if it had been allowed to. It would have gone and done what the, maybe. the Google one did and just chosen an arbitrary answer and oh, like when it bluffed it its way through. <laughs>
1: yeah, maybe, maybe. Um, I yeah. guess if I'd said, "Imagine you love curry puffs," right. and then it would probably, but I'd have to have already. But like, imagine
0: <laughs> you're a
1: human being <laughs> with taste. Which now, which one do you like? I, I have to give it a go. Anyway, we could talk about this for a long time, but I think um, if you, you At
0: some point in there, you tried me to try to get me to weigh up the balance of good or evil in this chat. GPT, in terms of its contribution to hmm. the world, and um, that's just like an annoying pointless question so i'm going to answer it um you don't have to i do i do think that it's a really good catalyst for us to profoundly rethink how we're dealing with education but also the role of us as humans in labor markets and like also to, to your other point which was like kids they need someone to ask the questions of in school so you're trying to understand a given topic and you're stuck and the class has been set the task, the whole task. So it's like, look at this and work your way through it. Now you have access to chat.gpt. You ask it for help, but because you're lazy, you ask it for the answer. You're not asking it to help you out of a sticky spot with how do I solve this? Mm -hmm. What's the method by which I solve the quadratic? You just put the unknowns in and it tells you the answer. So that's why it's Difficult, isn't it? It's not, it's like the two challenges in education one, instill the curiosity to learn, and two, structure the pathways so that it's hard enough but not too difficult. It's just enough difficult to be as rewarding as Super
1: Mario. Mm.
0: But so they get better.
1: But that's because the answer is the measure of the success of the education, right? And that's the problem, right? If your measure is just based on the answer, the goal for the student is give me the answer and I'll just write it down and get a point as opposed to measuring whether they understand it. And I think the test for that would be a little bit like if you gave me and someone else who's never used the mid journey thing, 10 minutes to create a really amazing image I would know the right prompts and language and things to actually ask or prompt it with to get the better image. Most people would go draw a nice pretty cat or something, you know, it wouldn't know all the different ways of using that tool. I think there's an element of that where in chat, you could basically find a way of articulating your knowledge without it just being the the exam answer. Again, you have to rethink education. You have to rethink how we measure whether someone truly can think through problems problem solve think creatively and understand a concept rather than have they written the right words in the right order on a page you know because mm. it can do that better than we can let's be honest um mm. all good let's- well that's been excellent i
0: mean i i only did one query of chat gpt turns out you spent your whole honeymoon doing it <laughs> so uh you've said here reflecting on the twitter journey something you want to talk about and that baffled me because There was a lot of Twitter and then it went a bit quiet. So three weeks ago was peak Twitter, like peak Twitter Armageddon. Since then, all that's happened is there was a poll about Trump and think there might be, there's some pressure to have some, I don't know, Senate review or something, some kind of probe into whether whether there's been inappropriate use of customer data, um, some privacy concerns. But yeah, it's like a big know, thing. Was your was your intention to do like the end-to-end analysis of what happened at Twitter? No,
1: no, literally just just since we last recorded. Because I think in in your mind, I think you, you're thinking like very recently. But actually, since we recorded, things that happened that I could How long have we been away? We've been away for a month. And a month in... It seems like a month these days is just like 10 years. So, so anyway... Let's do it. Let's things, do it. He walked into the
0: building, he's holding a sink.
1: No, no, I've, I've, we've... We've we've done those, those bits. We did that, uh, that. We did We did, well, we didn't really cover it, but offline we covered it. I get all that. Things that have happened since that we haven't really fully discussed. The whole Twitter blue pay for verification. I think when we caught up for a burger, the whole Eli Lilly 3% stock plummet based on people like faking it. So that happened. There was a, the free speech, adding everyone back onto Twitter and then adding Trump back onto Twitter and him not saying anything and then elon being like vox popularly vox day there was the weird thing where during the protests in china chinese bots because they've got so much less moderation they basically targeted all of the posts that were posting about the protests and then they started like hashtag shanghai and putting loads of adult content and making sure that like all the locations basically got spammed by adult content and got got kind of like got barred but there seems to be loads of loads of things happening on twitter that are baffling and so i I kind of wanted to know your view on all of it because it's exhausting otherwise so i think i think people
0: have got Twitter fatigue with the way it's playing out and yeah that's why i thought it's not really much of a story also because it's got a bit quiet for the last two weeks Um, yeah, so I I just think it's not that much of a story when the dust settles, we need a public forum at global town square that is Twitter and you're not going to replace it. Like none of the things that are supposed to replace it are going to replace it. It's Twitter or bust. That's all you've got. And if we have to redo it again from scratch, it won't look anything like Twitter. It won't be Twitter. It will just be some entirely new format of thing. Mm -hmm. So it would be unfortunate and a shame if Elon truly breaks this. He's had a good old go, hasn't he? So the eight dollar <laughs> to do the blue check mark—that turns out that was an error. Um, then there was going to be a grey check mark for a while, and that oh, didn't. I think there,
1: be, is there not? There's going to be a.
0: Don't know. An and official then. Official or something. He, so then there was the thing about firing many many employees. Mm-hmm. Um, there's now a legal case from female employees saying that they were disproportionately targeted. Uh, then there was the—you've got to be hardcore letter, internal memo, where Elon said people were going to work really hard and it was going to be engineering-driven, a predominantly engineering company. Those were two separate announcements. And people were encouraged to take generous redundancy pay in US terms of five weeks if they didn't want to do the hardcore thing. Some people who had been fired in the first of those rounds, the first wave, uh, were asked to come back because it turns out they were needed, which is a bit embarrassing. Elon did a gag about two of the fake employees who'd done some press pieces. So he was like being ironic and postmodern, which is confusing in in such a maelstrom of poo. Um, <laughs> then he was just kind of continually flippant all the way through. He tried to do a, a piece where he calmed down the advertisers because the advertisers had been getting very flighty in all of this because of claims that the moderation is going to be completely revamped, which... Elon has had to make contradictory noises about because of the kind of the mechanics of it right so you have to have a platform funded by advertisers or a successful subscription model and in the you know in the meantime you need the advertisers but they have left a lot there was a post somewhere in the middle of all of that about two weeks in when he said we've got the highest highest active daily users ever and twitter's an exciting and cool place to be so they their Mm -hmm. active user numbers if you believe the internal data are actually doing quite well. And yeah, I mean, then lots of people start saying things like, oh, join me on Mastodon, but no one's going to. So that's it. I mean, Twitter, we need Twitter. you got to have it. It's, it is a public good. It's actually good that he took it over because it was just very... It needed It not, needed a spark, right? It, it had not been, stagnant. Stagnant is sounds... It, it wasn't festering. It was just totally... It has ent- engineering craft like engineering it was like you, in an engineering sargasso sea where no one had any intention of doing anything and they were all just paralyzed by their own overhiring
1: so it you, did need something it, so it felt a bit like a public service in many respects <laughs> i think it had kind of is this a it trap? kind of no I'm,
0: I'm serious i think um no we're not going to no we're not going to socialize twitter we're not going to take twitter into the pub no, France. no, no. I'm not I'm not
1: saying that. I'm not saying that. I'm saying your comments about it being a you public... You can't socialize gig. the social network. I'm the thing about Elon and a small, lean, engineering-led workforce, I'm actually not against it. I think it's it can work and it can be very effective and and getting behind a kind of a, a passionate visionary leader for a project or company or or goal that you actually care about has worked for him right it's worked with spacex getting to it's for smaller companies that have equity stories you, you can't do it for... at that point in a company well no this is the thing right with with tesla it worked because there was the startup journey and there was a vision to try and get electric cars going and that you kind of needed just a handful of people just push that Agenda: Getting reusable space rockets is just mad, and you needed people who genuinely wanted to see that happen until they well, burn out. The, the it story and there leave.
0: was about becoming a multiplanetary species, so each of them well, had a, a credible story that was about saving the world.
1: It was, but even from an engineering perspective, like you're trying to attract people who have probably yep. been just stagnating in in old space rocket engineering. And and then you're just like, oh, we're going to reuse space rockets and get people to Mars. It's kind of like, okay, that's interesting. That's crazy. I don't know how you motivate people to work flat out on Twitter because it, it just doesn't have it doesn't have that appeal. What's its use case at the moment? It's basically a place where people can shout at each other, and it's becoming. I've noticed. I don't know if you follow many people on Twitter, but I've noticed it's becoming like a really angry. Predominantly right-wing place now, and I don't know if that's just the circle I'm in, but it's just not—it's not a very nice place. Even though I agree, it's probably the best option we have as a kind of forum for real-time news and, and things like that. But it's not—you um, don't want to hang around on there because it's just become really toxic. And I think it was already pretty toxic, but it's now there's <laughs> zero in moderation, and it's attracting. It's not even like free speech absolutism. It's like Elon speech absolutism where you kind of side with the emperor or or you're in the wrong and you need to be banished and shouted at. And that's a really awkward place to be around because ugh, it, it's, it's awkward. But yeah, I don't know what you... What would you do to make Twitter successful? That's how I should have framed it. Make Twitter great again. No, just make it a successful business that makes money, that isn't awful, that, yeah. you know, interesting. I don't know. How yeah, would you do I that? I
0: mean, the best suggestions I've heard are from, as always, uh, from Jamath Palapatiya, mm-hmm. who said that if you're, you recognize that as a platform, it disproportionately benefits the influencers and people who have 10,000, 100,000, a million followers. And based on follower tiers, you should pay you know you can everyone can use twitter but you can't like if you if you're actually using the platform and benefiting from it at those scales you should be that's your channel those are your followers so like to continue to access them and continue to talk to them you should have to pay for the rest of the infrastructure and for it to make money and that is great just that is that alone it's fairly simple Interesting. Um, that was the best idea i've heard there's plenty more i think elon's idea of a Subscription-based model is really bold, um, like a freemium model mm. um, with a paywall and these extra features. It was really badly implemented, obviously, by confusing the the blue check mark, which is one of its assets. They you kind of devalued that. That was a real problem. But there there would be a way of doing that right, mm. and then ad-based. I suppose it has to be because everyone in North America has a really high tolerance for ads interspersed into content. And so now does the rest of the world. So if that's the model, that's the capitalism we're in, uh, we'll have to swallow it. So that's doable too. And then pay to get rid of the ads, I suppose. It, you know, it pushes you up through the paywall. It's, these are all, like, it doesn't matter in the end. It, it It's fine. Going back to an earlier point, you said people aren't going to do the hardcore work ethic thing unless you can make them believe in some kind of moonshot goal that's like saving humanity or something. I can tell that story about Twitter. It is important, vitally important that we have a place for discourse as an online society. And that place is, is Reddit probably. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, but in Twitter, where all the famous people are, that like, it could be a place where conversation happens and like meaningful yeah. connections happen and you can get people behind that. Now, the reason why it's hard to get people to work as hard is because it's at a different stage in the company journey. It's already IPO'd and then un-IPO'd and gone private again. To motivate people as much, you'd have to tell a story about their equity going up in value. And I think that's the next, that was the real mission that Elon was brought on to do was to take Twitter and turn it into the WeChat. So it's a payments platform with payments built in and it's, it, it's like another thing. And when he talks about Twitter 2.0, that's what he has in mind. Something that allows the engineers of today with their stock options to really feel that they are going to get rewarded. And something that means that his journey as CEO is a hero narrative. Like That's what he's after. If he can pull it off, amazing. Uh, but even if he doesn't pull it off, even if he's just made Twitter great again, a little bit less egg icon body and... Returns it to it's a basically functioning thing, and it's satisfying its shareholders or its investors because it's making money. If that's all he does, that's still really, really, really like that would be difficult. That would be hard work. That would be impressive. Final question,
1: and then we can move on. Do you think he still has any time to pay attention to Tesla, SpaceX, He, la- he launched Link. the he launched the semi and Neuralink. Yeah, I mean, I mean, other than, like, literally being there to just do the presentation, like, do you think he has any headspace to actually lead all the other what well, kind of world-changing companies? Or do you think there are human limits to what often people think of Elon, that he's some sort of superhuman robot man, some Ozymandias character? Is this too much, and is this maybe going to be the end of him, the undoing of him?
0: I've seen a lot of different management styles in my life, and I'm fairly convinced that if even mediocre managers and leaders had competent people under them, they could be far more capable. Mm. Like, What on earth is being escalated up anyway? Like, Why why not make the decision yourself if you're empowered to? Like, So you're running Tester AI. So you're running the Optimus Prime program, right? Designing the next humanoid robot to completely change our economy by putting robot instead of gdp you know what i'm talking about right i know what you're talking about yeah i saw
1: something that looked like a toy yeah anyway so you're running that your point is or
0: say you're launching the tesla semi having worked on it for three years
1: five years so your point is why do you need elon in though in that
0: what is it that you're asking him to approve not approve make a judgment call on help you with the decisions of
1: he's notoriously been hands-on with with all important areas of every aspect of his companies to the point where he will just go directly to the person who is literally building, not the middle management or marketing or anything. He, he just goes straight to the people and either takes it over or works with them directly to do it. And that works when you're running one company. Maybe it works when you're running two until they get bigger. Now you're, by, by all accounts, he's living, eating, sleeping, sleeping at twitter h q meanwhile yeah, he's um, in production hell Tesla were doing I guess okay I didn't really care about the the semi thing he somehow had semi like do... their most one of their
0: most important products for electrification of ground transport it's of pivotal and ideological importance right so and you the think semi is like a if that was like a it's like a watershed moment for the debate about hydrogen in ground transport,
1: so you'd think I, he'd need to be finger on the pulse on that meanwhile no because it just
0: takes forever like that stuff is that's about producing very large batteries and producing an enormous class 8 truck Uh, i don't know what you do between one month and the next Mm, when you report back to him like Um, i don't know what i don't know what he would be doing between board meetings that would be useful in the tesla semi project fair enough Um, i think what you're saying is
1: i I um, just just, like he
0: seems to he seems to pulled it off so far but Twitter might sink him because it's just so labor intensive and intractable. And you might be right.
1: Yeah, I just don't know whether you you get the value back. Investing time Elon investing time in Tesla has clearly worked. SpaceX clearly worked. Neuralink, it's got a few issues, but you know, it's moving. Boring Company, absolute train wreck. That's just what a waste. But then by and large, he's he's above 50% and things are actually quite remarkable in what he's able to deliver. The Twitter one, just for me, it just seems maybe he will surprise us and that will be amazing. But I can't help but look at it at the moment and think he's just just tied a massive, massive like weight around his ankles. And now he's tethered with it until he can figure out how to like buy up the cheap debt, offload it and re-IPO it. That's what he's got to do in the next two years so he can get back to doing what he should be doing, which is running Tesla, making it the biggest car company in the world running SpaceX and getting us to Mars and an interplanetary species, running Neuralink and getting our connectivity to AI and computers through our brains to be like completely seamless. These are huge things. Running Tesla to make it fully autonomous cars, which I know I think is a pipe dream that we're going to be decades away from. He's got to get that in the next few years. Otherwise, it's really going to be just promises and jam tomorrow.
0: FSD is now available to every North American driver who wants it.
1: Yes, FSD, trademark, patent pending, blah, blah, blah. It's not a thing that actually does what people expect it to. He he is clearly capable of executing on these things. I just, I do worry that Twitter is just uh, sending him down a really bad space, but also surrounding him by really awful people on Twitter who now absolutely adore him. But who knows? I joked with Jen the other day that I could genuinely see in the next 30 years elon being emperor of earth i don't think these are these these kind of outlandish things don't have a zero percent chance there's a chance that that could that could happen and he's one of the characters that would probably be able to pull that off maybe twitter is a path towards that but i'd rather he focus on like the stuff that seems like it's got more substance than this whatever the hell he's doing at twitter anyway we went down that rabbit hole we should move on do you have a not a sponsor for us this week i certainly do are you asking Chat GPT to
0: create one? <laughs> but let me ask you a question. Do you have a cupboard space or dark area that would benefit from a motion-activated strip light of LEDs coming on just as you walked into it or past it or through it? Yeah. What? Are, where are you thinking of?
1: Um, I'm thinking of... Initially I was thinking about our landing, but I already have a hue light for that, which is motion activated. But then I was actually thinking, um, my shed. <laughs> Brilliant. So Is it is is it suitable for a shed, whatever you're gonna pitch to me?
0: Yeah, so it turns out these things are available and they're very affordable. And the way that it works is you get a USB C or USB mini um powered sort of battery part of it, and it plugs into the incredibly thin led sort of strip light i I say strip light what i mean is like a a sticky bit of sort of foil covered in leds that you Mm. stick under a surface and then when you walk past the battery section it turns on oh that's quite cool these things cost less than 20 dollars is what i'd say less than 20 dollars a meter you know so 13 pounds for one meter 16 for two meters and this is the motion activated Lots of words from the Sensky store. Link will be in the show notes. And that's this week's Not a Sponsor. That's really fun. Ask me what I did with it. And what did you do with it? So, you know, when you load the dishwasher, it's a little bit dark. What would be really helpful is if the cupboard it was in has a light just shining into the dishwasher space. And it. So, because it's only coming on for 30 seconds every mm. time you open it, like it's never going to. It will run out, but then you just charge it over here by pulling it off the Velcro strip. So that's what the use case is. And uh, it's super handy to be able to see what you're packing in the dishwasher.
1: That's a good idea.
0: I, I'll have a think about
1: actually places to put something like that.
0: 5% off while stocks last.
1: Ooh, thanks. Anyway, thanks for that. Not a sponsor. I think we can move on to this week in crypto, which will basically be this month in crypto. This month in crypto. And this month in crypto, literally we recorded last time. I got ready to go on a honeymoon. And then in a matter of one week of going on holiday, just FTX imploded and took everything with it. (laughs) And I was was just, I I remember messaging you when I was like just lying in the sun being like, this would be a really good week to record and maybe reflect on this, but maybe giving it time has helped. So um, do you want to summarize kind of what happened just in words? Um or do you want me to? I don't, I don't mind.
0: Have you got a summary of what happened?
1: Yeah, yeah. I've tried to summarize the timeline because, because it was just too much. it's probably better that you run through it crisply and get it right. Oh, God. Getting it right is going to be hard. DX, the, the second biggest exchange globally for cryptocurrencies by volume um, after Binance. Beginning of November, it was pretty much the golden child. And Sam Bankman-Fried, who's goes by SBF, was the the poster child for crypto both with regulators and with like every podcast and video and everything out there he was worth close to 40 billion dollars um they had sponsors like Steph Curry, Tom Brady you just had their name on the Miami Heat stadium uh just they were just huge and november 2nd till november 12th they went from 40 billion to just completely bankrupt The way it started, from what I can tell, is that on November 2nd, there was a Coindesk article that ran, which focused on Alameda. Alameda is like, the, I guess, the sister company to FTX that was the hedge fund that originally he had, Sam Bankman, feed, SBF had run. And this article talked about their balance sheet and, most importantly, how much holdings they had of FTT, which is kind of made-up token that FTX was using as an exchange token. Nothing really happened after that, but people were like, oh, this is a bit weird. And then CZ, Binance CEO, tweeted that Binance were going to liquidate all of their holdings in FTT and this token. That was on the 4th of November. And that meant the token dropped by about 30%. People started really panicking. It kicked off a little bit of concerns about FTX. Caroline Ellison, who's the CEO of Alameda, the ones who Coindesk had written an article about, tweeted randomly that Alameda would offer to buy FTT at $22. And people were like, uh, what, what, what's so important about $22? And that kind of made people think that maybe there's a reason why they need to keep the price at that number because they hold so much of this token... They've clearly used it as collateral for various things. They can't let it drop because then all their loans will be underwater. Anyway, it starts to run on the bank. Everything's going crazy. Crypto Twitter is kind of exploding while I was on holiday. And before long, Sam bankman fried SBF, tweeted that they will be selling FTX to Binance. So that was just really, really random. Meanwhile, he's around Silicon Valley trying to raise 10 billion dollars from vcs and none of them are buying it it's just not working and this is just all happening live on twitter that people are just leaking oh we've just had a meeting with him just declined that it's just all happening real time it's worth noting sbf and cz don't get along There's always been like beef between them even though binance was a big investor in ftx originally but there were various shots fired between them where Sam Bankman-Fried suggested CZ was just trying to, like, you know, damage them and attack them by, by liquidating all the FTT things. Anyway, all of this crazy kept happening. And by November 9th, which is barely a week later, the SEC, CFTC and DOJ were all investigating what's going on at FTX. By the evening of the 9th of November, Sequoia Capital, who were one of the biggest VCs in the space, who had put in 150 million into FTX, announced they had marked that down to zero. So they'd they'd just written it off. And we were starting to get the impression that the whole thing would just be bankrupt. So 10th of November happens. SBF admits he made really big mistakes. He posts these internal messages to his employees trying to rally the troops, but basically saying that they are the last people he cares about. He cares about like his creditors, the VCs, the customers, everything. And they all need to do it because they're the last people who will get anything. They all need to kind of help him get out of this hole. And they leaked that obviously. So there's lots of leaks coming from the company of really disgruntled employees, um, many of which he walked out from the compliance side. Meanwhile this weird behaviours then start happening, right? So they start freezing withdrawals on FTX. So loads of customers can't uh, access their funds. And that's when people think, oh, this ship is is starting to go completely under. At this point, Alameda starts heavily shorting Tether. So Tether loses its peg, that's USDT. So that starts going below a dollar. And there's all these conspiracy theories around, oh, are they doing that to try and like Make one last big trade to try and get themselves out of this thing. Through the, they hold a lot of uh, Solana, so they were people were thinking if they can short Tether enough, then they can dump Solana. They can like get back on top through Tether. It was all very weird. And then on the same day, on the tenth of November, Tether announced they were freezing forty six million dollars of FTX funds of Tether under instruction from the U.S. law enforcement. So we we're like, oh my god, this is just literally exploding in front of your eyes. Um, then Justin's son rocks up. He's like the guy behind Tron and he's like, I'm going to help bail out FTX. And it turns out he's not. And instead he makes a deal where you can withdraw from FTX using Tron. <laughs> so if you're using their stablecoin equivalent, you can withdraw. And so Tron people are saved. And, uh, there's this weird thing where people are all shifting to Tron assets to then withdraw them from FTX. Meanwhile, on the exchange, because you can't withdraw, Bitcoin and Ethereum start trading at a massive premium because people are like, I'm getting out of all these terrible altcoin alternatives. I'm just getting into those because in the event of a massive bankruptcy proceedings, maybe I'm going to actually retain some value if I keep in, in those Bitcoin and Ethereum assets. Then the most insane thing happens the same day, it's still the 10th of November. There's this announcement that actually FTX are allowing withdrawals but only for residents of the Bahamas. And Sam Bankman-Feed is like, oh yeah, the Bahamas regulator said that we had to allow this because of blah, blah, blah. And, you know, we're having to do it because of this. And people are like, what? So then they're doing deals with people who live in the Bahamas to like get money out. And it's all this random like behind the scenes dealings with employees of FTX who so at this point they have completely, they're just trying to like save whatever they have because a lot of them at that point have lost everything job savings everything they have no no allegiance to SBF. anyway same day that evening 10th of november sam bankman feed announced don't worry ftx will be going bankrupt but ftx us the us one uh, is fine they're all fully capitalized everything's fine and then that evening ftx us tweets they will also be closing trading completely nuts the morning after Um, SBF is out, so he's no longer the CEO, and the guy they appoint is uh, John J. Ray, who is the new CEO, and who who actually handled the bankruptcy proceedings for Enron. So they got the former Enron guy to come and deal with this. That's how high-profile it was. You thought it was all over because they're now bankrupt, everything's going... That everything's dead and then people start monitoring the blockchain and 600 million dollars of funds from goes from FDX wallets to some random addresses and then gets like washed through like Kraken and you're just thinking what what is what is happening here and it's like people are saying it's a hack it's an inside job I don't know if that's been resolved yet but like someone stole a ton of money as well and then people are worried about wrapped assets that are wrapped on the solana network because you know when you like wrap bitcoin someone's custodying it and it turns out for solana ftx were custodying the bitcoin that was getting wrapped on solana and they were like well that's gone so maybe that's that loses its peg against bitcoin and that starts uh, crashing then people are like where is SBF? why is he not arrested and there's videos of him running away with his backpack and these different things and someone finally spots him in a coffee shop then someone spots him trying to flee to dubai from the Bahamas. So the Bahamas um, authorities stop him, put him in custody. He's sat in custody with authorities. And then on the 12th of November, so literally two days after all the chaos that had happened around bankruptcy uh, proceedings, um, the Bahamas regulators then make a, a statement via a letter that they tweet out saying that actually FTX, they'd never asked FTX to open withdrawals for residents. So it turns out that was just done for insiders by FTX employees probably and Sam Bankman-Fried. Anyway, everything else that proceeds is just I was talking to Jen about it, actually where it feels like some high schoolers try to like reenact Enron but like really bad and in like even less time with just way less like professionalism. It's just chaotic. So you're now finding out there were custom backdoors between FTX and Alameda. Basically, funds went straight into FTX, then got sent to Alameda, got gambled away and lost. And so there's a somewhere between an 8 and $10 billion hole. You're finding out that there's links between SBF and many of the regulators that are now trying to radically distance themselves from him because he was their golden boy. And the thing that's really interesting now is like, there's just so much contagion because it turns out FTX had a pretty good reputation and a lot of other institutions, major institutions, custodied their assets with them. Uh, and unlike VCs, they can't just write those off. They're not investments. They actually they <laughs> really need them. So BlockFi have gone under because they were basically surviving off, off, off FTX. Genesis, who are one of the really big custodians for all of the kind of lending in cryptocurrencies, have needed the bailout from their parent company. We saw OSUM closed because I think some liquidity providers struggled. The whole crypto market's crashed. Kraken have cut its workforce by 30% because they're like, this isn't getting any better. And today we just found out that the Block Media Company are also in trouble because they've been heavily funded in the last year by FTX and have been skewing a lot of their media reports on what was really happening there. I I feel like that's roughly what happened. Um, and And the crazy thing is... The media have really struggled at using the words like fraud or crime in any of the reporting. So no one has talked about it the way they did with Enron as literally institutional financial fraud. Instead, they're kind of saying, oh, just crypto and some mistakes were made, maybe like management, you know, and they just, they just lost $10 billion. It's such a shame. You know, we should bring him in for a hearing. He's not in cuffs. He's not arrested. There's no... There's a really weird thing where he's in the last week gone on like a thousand podcasts and videos and everything just rambling about what happened. But whenever people ask him, well, what happens to all of the customers' money? He doesn't really seem to know, which is, you know, what you'd expect a CEO maybe to have some sight of. But anyway, it was that a rough summary. <laughs> well done. That was really good.
0: The um, so he's going to speak to congress next week he says that um because he doesn't have access to much of his data there's there's a limit to what he's going to be able to say and he won't be as helpful as he'd like
1: of course did you see there was an exchange between him and maxine waters this is an interesting thing that happens on twitter right which is that big famous people instead of talking to each other normally talk to each other in public via twitter in this kind of surreal what the hell's going on where I think she's one of the representatives in Congress who invited him to to talk uh, to the House Committee. And he was like, oh, I would, I don't have enough stuff. I'm kind of busy. Um, I won't be able to be much useful. But when I am, I'll let you know. And then she was like, well, you seem to be able to talk to a lot of these other people over the last week, doing lots of other interviews. And the content in there is definitely of public interest. So don't just come as you are. And now he's like... Uh, and, and I think it was hidden behind the scenes that like they are un- definitely open to subpoenaing him, and now he's like, "Oh, okay, I, I guess I could come." <laughs> 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 Having talked to everyone, to even to a podcast, that, literally smaller than ours, that then leaked the whole thing. Uh, he's just doing interviews with everyone oh I forgot a whole chunk of the story which is he had a a direct message interview with a Vox reporter who he thought was a friend where he opened up about the truth of you know his whole facade and how it's all a scam and how really he's just been pretending to be this like really reputable person because you know he's like said F regulators they don't know anything blah blah and then she just published all of it on Twitter and then he's like oh I thought we were friends (laughs) And then he did this weird phone call interview with this literally an unheard of podcaster who then a few days later then put the whole recording out live where he does just ramble about the whole process where he just doesn't seem to have a clue, pretending to have not have a clue, how money that he's been given from venture capital, from customers, from other investors from big institutions who custody the assets there. All of that money seems to have just gone to Alameda to be gambled with, Alameda Research. And and then maybe because of the Luna fiasco, but maybe because of other things, they've basically ended up losing it all. And then CZ dumping FTT token really it it, it pushed down the price of the one piece of collateral that they had, which is they could just print a lot of these FTT tokens out of thin air and just put that on their balance sheet. Uh, It turns out now they, there's a bit of a hole and a lot of people have been hurt. I didn't really cover that, but like there are, I think, think about three to 4 million customers, a lot of people who've lost a lot of money. And let's be honest, I don't think they're going to see much back.
0: People have put their whole life savings in.
1: Yeah. Not least Um, employees because a lot of people
0: have put their parents' life savings in.
1: Yeah. I, I listened to um, NLW, who does the Breakdown podcast. He did the marketing for FTX, and he kind of stayed silent on commenting on it until he had more information. And then he did a really big, like, hour-long piece where he basically explains how he's felt about the whole situation because he wasn't aware of all of that. But obviously, he feels complicit in it because he helped them with, like, the Super Bowl ads and, like, getting the big marketing things. Like, some marketing-focused. Um, but he says he knows people... And he's seen the Slack channels of everything happening inside, which is get what got leaked. And he says there are people who you know aren't US-based. They're based in Argentina, based in different markets, who worked for FTX, who basically used it like a bank because they didn't have access to other banking services, who have lost their job and their life savings and everything else and have basically... Who wants FTX on their CV? They've just lost everything in a nutshell so in, a, in a short amount of time. So... Um, Can you cover two things? One... Yeah.
0: The reason CZ CZ, uh, originally kind of along with the things that were coming to light about the balance sheets and the links to Alameda, one of the reasons was he felt that he was being stabbed in the back and in
1: his initial tweet, he kind of mentioned that. So can you touch on that? SBF had had been building this reputation of being like pro-regulation, you know, oh yeah, we want everything to be well-regulated, blah, blah, blah. He's been the golden child of it. But there was a there was a comment that I think SBF had made in a previous tweet where he was like oh you should get CZ in to to talk in congress right so they wanted to, so and and SBF was basically like oh is he even allowed in Washington DC kind of like basically suggesting that there's a lot of shady things that go on at finance and that they don't follow regulation and it turns out it's the complete opposite right if you look closely at the red flags in hindsight it's obviously easy to say this but there was so much happening at ftx that was hidden under the limelight of sequoia capital invested and paradigm invested like all your big investors have like given them money they've got tom brady steph curry all these like celebrities endorsing them they're in bed with the regulators the weird love triangle thing between like SBF and Gary Gensler and Caroline Edison who's the ex-girlfriend of SBF who's the CEO of Alameda whose dad was Gary Gensler's boss in Harvard there's like all this weird like connections where it just felt like FTX were a very safe company and I think that obscured reality which was they're kind of kids right he was a 30 well 30 billion or something at the age of 29 they had 300 something employees they'd been around for a couple years i remember in my youtube feed randomly getting these this is about 2019 right i'd get these pop up adverts for ftx for this exchange and usually when you see that you're like red flag random exchange never heard of And I ignore them if it's not one that I've used and that I'm comfortable with. And then a couple, literally a year or so goes by and I'm like, oh my God, I missed a boat. This is like the major exchange to be on. I just don't use it, right? I think we'd all got suckered into a sense of complacency here. And then maybe those that are paying attention, clearly CZ was and other people were, kind of called out something dodgy happening with a business that seems to just funnel funds to and from its... A hedge fund which interesting enough it it has so many similarities to Enron I don't know how well you know the Enron scandal but I've been listening to a podcast from the Wall Street Journal called Bad Bets (laughs) um season one they talk all about Enron it's like seven episodes each one's an hour long and when I was listening to it I was like oh my god this is this is like a, a mature adult version of FTX or, or vice versa, FTX is like the kids' playground version of it where you've got the similar sort of characters, but instead of having like a dodgy CFO and dodgy CEOs and, and bad internal governance where there was a lot of hidden corruption, Um, that character is entirely played by SBF in the FTX version. And you still had a run on the bank in Enron. You still had a situation where they had like this this sister... Hedge fund called LJM who are basically making all these other hidden deals and using N one stock as the collateral, the it Basically, what Alameda were doing, right? It's like it is basically the N one story, and they mm. were one of the biggest energy companies in the space. Like they went lost fifty percent of their stock value in eight days. Like you just you see the the parallels, and then the fact that you've got John J Ray who was the person brought in to come and like deal with that whole bankruptcy proceedings and that scandal, he's been brought in for FTX. And he, when he, did you see his uh, thing yeah. that he wrote up saying that he's seen N one and this is worse in, in some way is what he says. It's remarkable that after all of that, like for some weird reason, politicians and the media have failed to really articulate the gravity and the truth of this story which has led, unfortunately, to a lot of conspiracy theories around everyone being in bed with everyone else and because of his massive donations to the Democratic Party and and to the Republican Party and to, like, everyone (laughs) under the sun, um, that maybe everyone is kind of trying to uh, save face and not call it what it is, which is massive financial fraud. Not really anything to do with crypto, apart from the fact that it's that industry. It's just huge, huge fraud to the scale of I think, to the scale of Enron and following a lot of the patterns that Enron had, but in a much, much shorter timescale.
0: Yeah, agreed. So this is the CZ tweet. Liquidating our FTT. This is on the 6th of November. Oh, wow. Liquidating liquidating our FTT is just post-exit risk management, learning from Luna. We gave our support before, but we won't pretend to make love after divorce. We're not against anyone, but we won't support people who lobby against other industry players behind their backs onwards.
1: Oh, interesting. And so they're... That's really interesting. So there, that's more firing shots about Sam's... if made a lot of weird statements around what his views on reg- the regulation for crypto should be. Like he wanted... He's very pro, like, DeFi regulation in in a sense that made it not even DeFi at that point. And people were like, hold on, how can you be... You're not really pro-crypto, are you? are You don't really get what this space is. And some people have called him out on that. The fact that he came to the space so late like coming in from a hedge fund in Wall Street and then getting into the crypto space because he realized he could make more money from it in 2019, kind of, he's not really about decentralization, people having self-custody over their own economic powers. He's not about any of that. He's about making lots of money. And there's been a whole load of people diving into the whole effective altruism angle of his personality, but I don't want to go into it too much. But there's an element where he just seems to have been using the hype around the crypto industry to make as much money as quickly as possible and doesn't care how he gets to that point. And that seems to have been pretty consistent. There's a spreadsheet I've
0: shared with you. Cool. And in some way in the margin notes, it's just a comment where he goes, oh, this is just um, really badly mislabeled. And
1: what he's trying to... I've heard him say that. I didn't know that it's came the, from the spreadsheet. <laughs> it's,
0: it's the overall playbook he's working with right now is to make out that this massive malfeasance, this this fraud, is a, it's just kind of sloppiness on his part. So his claim is <laughs> that there was um, like a sloppy mislabeling of like, imagine the filing cabinet that you put in everything that is all the customer's money. Well, they hadn't realized was when they gave, because they didn't have a bank account for it at the time, because they hadn't set up a bank account. So they were like, oh, okay, we'll just keep that in the Alameda bank account, because they've got a bank accounts, so we'll just put it in that. But they hadn't tagged it as the customer money. It was like just money they have. And they were like, okay, now we can use this money uh, for anything we like. And uh, we can, can use it as collateral to get more money. Magic. What could go wrong? And then they're like, oh, we don't have any of the money. They want the money now because of what he said. And now we don't have the money. And it's like, oh, oh I just, I guess I'm a bit klutzy. And that's his play right now on all the interviews and it is weird that the mainstream media or whoever has been paying hasn't called them out on it it's weird but it's not great but uh don't worry it (laughs) will sort itself out now what is the what is the thing that's gonna like the thing we need to talk about is that okay after all of that loads of people got burned and the whole big house of cards fell over and it fell over as big house of cards and so now it's going to be regulation central and it's going to be punishing and it's going to be overreach so i guess we have to ask you know i think you put it in the show notes does this mean it's all over
1: yeah i didn't i didn't have a any notes on that one what do you think
0: i think your notes say it says it says here in the show notes so is crypto finally dead (laughs) Yeah, that was it. Um, Is it? So if I understood correctly, the upshot of this is investors are vulnerable. They certainly look vulnerable. And also, anytime you have a part of uh, the financial system where you can just add zeros to the end of a number and make more money happen, that's possible in banking, unless you regulate it very hard and force them to hold one for one. And it's possible in crypto, very evidently unless you regulate it hard. And in every space that isn't regulated like that, uh, it's open to fraud. And in this case, centralised exchange, open to fraud. If it was decentralised, it kind of less so, but this is open to fraud. And it's going to be very much the poster boy for how the poor consumer could be very badly hurt unless big government puts a friendly arm around their shoulder and looks after them paternalistically and I think mm-hmm. that that's gonna happen. Does it mean that crypto's over uh well the FTX has been making noises like don't legitimise crypto by by regulating it, say some of its columnists. It's been good to see crypto finally getting on the front page where it deserves to be, but for all the wrong reasons. I think that yeah, there from here on in, much more regulation and quite blanket regulation in a in a stupid and poorly thought out way. Now I think I think we'll get to that in a section that's called library lost their case with the SEC because that also happened. And and I think that was an interesting test case because rather than drawing a distinction about a utility token versus a token that doesn't pass the Howie test because it looks like a security, the SEC just went in in district one rather than district two, which is where Ripple's going to happen. District one, and they said, ah, it's... One of those things, isn't it? On those crypto scams. So it must be a security because everything other than Bitcoin is a security. Because under the Howey test, if you expect returns in future, it's a security. And we regulate that. So this is that. And that's if that's the line of argument, we are going to see that, by the way, for centralized exchanges. That's the line of argument that's going to be applied. Then we had high aspirations for crypto. It was meant to be decentralized, not your keys, not your wallet. It turns out people like the convenience of centralised exchanges, it turns out those are also subject to fraud. That You know, they are. What you've seen, though... and You can be let me play, can be subject to fraud.
1: Let me play devil's advocate. I think you're right, by the way, but let me play devil's advocate just for the fun of it. What if this is a really painful but necessary good for the whole industry? So on the back of this, you've seen, you've seen a lot of contagion. So a lot of companies have gone under, and there will be more to follow, right? This is literally... Barely a month in, there will almost certainly be some much bigger collapses that happen off the back of this. But you've seen, you always had Kraken, who did proof of reserves and proof of liabilities and had a real external audit. You've now seen everyone else rally to do that. So Binance, Crypto.com, just published theirs today, external audit, you know, not... Liabilities, but at least proof of reserves in terms of what um, assets they actually hold. You've seen many, many more now. Nexo.io be like, you know, we do weekly audits, external, published, Merkle tree proofs, everything. The, the blockchain's great at actually, which is auditability. Turns out it's actually phenomenally good at that <laughs> to the point where people see when FTX is sending money to Alameda wallets, right? You can literally see it. And if you're able to then on DeFi, you can publish, you see the liabilities as well. So you completely know that something's collateralized and what the risks are. That, I think, if we had smart regulation and if people take the time to really look at it objectively, I think that's a phenomenal benefit, not just for crypto, but I think a lot of banks and a lot of people in the financial services would probably look at it and go, well, that's really handy, isn't it? (laughs) Real-time, transparent, almost fully automated proof of liabilities and assets that everyone can see which is backed by maths, not just backed by a signature or some corrupt accountant, right? So I think that could be quite, maybe a positive. Also, when you get rid of, I don't want to call it dead weight, but like the, the bad actors, which I think we've seen a lot of this. You know, we had Celsius. We have had BlockFi go. We've now had FEX go. There was another one, three Voyager. Hours three, yeah, The Hours Capital. There's been so much, like Terra Luna, but also the pain that this is an experience for some of the venture capital investors, they're going to do their due diligence much, much better in future. There won't be this kind of like, you know, cult of personality. Let's just give everything a free pass. I think these are all positive things for the industry. Unfortunately, a lot of people got hurt by it. The bit that I'm still super skeptical about is, and I asked you this, and you gave me the funniest response of the day when I was like, surely this is the end for Gary Gensler and his vision of the SEC. He literally met with SBF and it was under his nose this whole time. And in that time, the SEC managed to go after Kim Kardashian, Floyd Mayweather, and this long protracted LBRY case of the tiniest of mini projects that it's like so small. Meanwhile, they're putting FTX and SBF on a pedestal of how regulation should be. Did you see that a House representative wrote a letter to him, basically blaming him for the situation? Representative Richie Torres basically said, Gary Gensler is singularly responsible for failing to prevent FTX's demise and called him out exactly for that. If the SEC has authority, Mr. Gensler claims, why did he fail to uncover the largest crypto Ponzi scheme in the US history? One cannot have it both ways, asserting authority while avoiding accountability. And then he uh, continues to criticise, why was he investigating Kim Kardashian instead of exchanges like FTX. And then he he, he called out, in, I'm going to paraphrase, but that Gary Gensler is more focused on improving his own personal brand than actually protecting the consumers that he claims to and that the SEC is meant to. Oh, actually, this is this is exactly what he said. So, he says to what extent has Mr. Gensler's demoralisation of his own workforce crippled the commission in the performance of its duty to protect investors? The public deserves an answer. So, just I do wonder, like in a, in an ideal world, you would look at this and you would go, you actually had all the regulation and powers that you needed on this one. You literally had the guy testifying and listened to him, and you had all the time and resources to focus on what was pretty much the biggest exchange that actually had a us presence ftx us and you failed to see the huge fraud and scandal from your boss's daughter your former boss's daughter and from someone who you met regularly with who just happened to be a golden child that you you liked because they have like family connections because of their uh, sbs parents are very bit Politically aligned, like in law and in academia, and you just think if you can't enforce that, I mean, you really shouldn't be in the job, right? This was this was the one where you wanted to put all the you wanted to prove what a good regulator does. You could have focused on FTX and maybe spotted this early, and then yeah, we did it. Look, this is why we need to look at all these fraudulent actors in the space. I think you'll hopefully when this fully comes to light, when the real journalists and reporters get their voices heard, the way that happened with the Enron scandal over a series of months following following that, when they really look into this further, I think what you'll see is it isn't this tough, harsh, pointless overreach and regulation that's that's needed. It's probably just doing your job properly, maybe, and then, and then also focusing on the positive aspects that you can do using... This whole crypto industry and the and the blockchain, which is having proof of reserve funds and having proof of liabilities transparently and easy easily auditable on the blockchain, I just some smart person surely is able to identify that as a positive that can come from this. But yeah, you said that's not how it works. You do something wrong, you become more powerful in these <laughs> in these positions. So maybe I'm being too optimistic.
0: There was something that happened that we haven't mentioned yet that was amusing. So Sam Packman fried on the 14th of November, started doing one-letter tweets. Oh my and no God. No could figure out what he was doing. And I don't know if you read the most plausible explanation. So within, I think, the Twitter API, it polls every minute. So if you produce, and it polls the tweet count of, a, of, a, of an account. So if you produce a tweet, so he was producing a one-letter tweet. He's going like, what happening? You know, so... Produce one tweet at the same time. Delete one of your earlier incriminating tweets. Then Twitter API doesn't think anything changed. It doesn't know that you deleted the tweet, but now it's gone from the record. And he was systematically deleting some of his previous tweets.
1: Oh my god! So I knew he deleted a lot of tweets because people have fortunately screenshotted and gone back. And yeah, not many people picked up on the that. That's as
0: an explanation is quite compelling to me. And they've gone into the code that shows how it totals up that's how it tallies up that's what's it's happening and so a lot of people wouldn't then see the deletions or a lot of systems wouldn't know that the deletions had happened
1: so so that's a really smart and savvy technical workaround that he's figured out there this is coming from the person who when reuters put an article out saying that they, they'd they unveiled the custom backdoor that had been created the funnel funds from ftx to alameda um spf was like i had no idea about that i don't even know the code computer science graduate who apparently knows the Twitter API better than I definitely did. Um, but d- d- just had no idea as the CEO and don't have a code. So um, that's a really interesting theory about the Twitter thing. Fun fact. Yeah. So anyway, we have to move on. We we it's do. time for we this do. week in NFTs. This week in NFTs. So you I think it'll be quite quick this way. This it? will be quite quick. Your favorite company in the world blocked the Coinbase wallet app because they wanted 30% of the Ethereum gas fees for NFT transfers, Uh, do explain. Apple always wants
0: 30%, unless you're making less than a million, in which case they'll take a 15% commission of all in-app purchases. Now, an NFT is an in-app purchase, is it not? Apple have done a lot of work setting up that ecosystem. They maintain it, they vet the apps, they do moderation, they check your apps aren't gonna crash. And they took a gamble in the first place.
1: It's a remember
0: that thing. It's yeah, a phone. Yeah, yeah. It's an iPod, so, and so it's a web browser. If it was
1: just one was more thirty percent. That? If it was thirty percent of the price of the NFT, I'd be
0: like, oh, I know, okay, I know. Whatever. So they've changed it a little bit this time. They've mixed up the formula. It's thirty percent of the gas fees on the NFT, <laughs> which doesn't now, go to Coinbase. Help me understand. How do you normally pay the gas fees?
1: How do. You pay. You, you yeah. pay the Ethereum blockchain. Yeah. And uh, some lucky So maybe
0: what it. we need you to do... Okay, I'll, I'll walk you through it. You're Coinbase, okay? I'm going to imagine I'm <sighs> Apple. What we need you to do is you need to estimate how much gas is going to cost in this transaction. And you're going to be doing that anyway in advance. So estimate it. Then take a portion of the customer's payment, right? That they were going to spend on the NFT. Put that to one side. Put the portion of the customer's payment that they've sent through crypto that they were going to expend as a gas fee, convert a part of it, the part for us, 30%, into fiat currency, send that through Apple Pay, yeah? And then send the rest, you're going to have to top it up, I don't know how, (laughs) through the, send the rest through the Ethereum blockchain, okay?
1: And then we're all square, yeah? Who's square? We're all square, 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 square. square. Apple just gets like a weird additional bonus cut I anyway, think people nonsense. are being
0: really harsh on Apple in this instance um, I think so Apple the founder being of, super dumb so this so the one. Coinbase tweets that came up, out about this honestly if you get s- some large corporation applying its policies through the customer service centre and they haven't elevated you to the tier one thing because you're Coinbase and they, their policy application <laughs> makes zero sense in this case it makes zero sense it's impossible to actually apply like literally impossible right Uh, then what you shouldn't do is have a hissy fit on Twitter. You should just phone up your friend, Tim. He'll resolve it. It'll be taken offline. Maybe, maybe. Do Um, do you know, a fun fact, that Epic is still required to pay its 30%, even though they managed to get the legal ruling in 2021 that allows them to use any other payment method they like. They still are paying and have to pay. Epic still has to pay the 30%. So they might have sent you through Stripe offline, right? But they are still on an annual basis balancing the books by really? making sure that 30% of those accounts are payments are sent back to Apple because those transactions have happened in-app. Madness. And, and that's consistent with the ruling. That's Because madness. the ruling simply required that Apple would permit other payment mechanisms oh not that the they in-app purchase. The <laughs> not that they... But it's up to them as a business. They can charge any levy this they wish. like
1: absolutely no benefit to, to Epic, just going through a different payment provider. But anyway... Um, in other news, uh, it's finally happened. Like, it, yeah. I think we need some, like, champagne or... we. Like, I totally didn't even notice, metal. actually.
0: Um,
1: it was news to me. When it's because, news, it's when because, it's when because you NFTs that, and crypto was... is dead, so people don't mind. Right. So it happened at okay. the, the zenith of the entire thing that we've been following. <laughs> right. But it finally happened. We've indicated the Wagme San 10 KTF project that we said for all along was inspired and, and kind of fronted by Beeple, behind the scenes anyway, that then he's become more prominent on, that it's been growing and it's had this great narrative and it's clearly got a lot of traction now. And it finally has reached the point where it's significant enough that Yuga Labs have bought it. So we knew Beeple's company and everything that that concludes, which is the Warm Wallet and 10KTF project, has all been bought into the Yuga Labs ecosystem which now includes the board eight rock club the mutants the kennel club all of the other stuff the other side me bits me bits crypto punks and now this which makes it you people talk about blue chip this is like the blue chip blue chip it is a yuga product as long as yuga doesn't stuff up that's kind of the the pinnacle so they did it it represents zero increase in value or any of that stuff it's just it's a. Uh, I i think it's a great sign because it's a smart move by Yuga more than just a beneficial thing for Renu, I think. If you look at the success of like LVMH recently and luxury goods and the direction that's heading and how deeply connected 10KTF, that whole project has been with the big luxury fashion brands and figuring out how to like create a digital type of product in that space. I think this is a very clever acquisition. But
0: yeah, what do you think? And um don't the staff of Ten KTF go to go into becoming like chief storyteller at Yuga?
1: Yeah, yeah, basically. So hopefully that doesn't dilute the And advisor. Yeah. Respectively. Well, Beeple now becomes a, a key advisor as well for them. And DZ and and the others who are the key founders in that in that project. But I think what they've realized is like if they're gonna build the other side and they're gonna tell a big a multi season complex open world story you need to either go and grab some people from like Fortnite and Epic and whatever, or take these guys because they've done a really good job of, of linking it with NFTs and, and everything in that space.
0: So it yeah. happened. Michael Figgy is going to
1: join Yuga as Figge, chief content
0: yes. officer. Uh, so he, com- he becomes chief content officer and Beeple, aka Mike Winkleman, joins Yuga as an advisor. So um, they live to die another day. Yuga gets some storytelling chops and it gets this character wagmi san who's well known now for taking nfts and turning them into other nfts which have links to
1: high-end brands well it it literally gets him so in the latest tweets in the narrative of 10 ktf he's now fallen through a portal and potentially into the other side so wagmi san is missing
0: wasn't that, that that one week in the height of the ftx Maelstrom. Yeah. When he said at the end of the week, ah, oh, it's a tough week, I need a drink. And it turns out he's about to drink the potion that says, don't drink me, that previously the coder had drunk. So it turns out that's what he's drinking, which when the coder drank it, sent him to the other side. So he's, that's the point at which he probably slipped into the other side. What I'm saying is that it's probably good, but it's also bad because it's consolidation. Like yeah. horrible, massive consolidation. Like at least... Like me was doing something a bit different and taking risks. And for all of their rebelling against the established centralized games industry narrative, Yuga is colossal, and they're making something that's it's such a hard thing to pull off to try and create an immersive multiplayer space off of improbables, tested but like unproven technology, and also make it fun? Make it a cool place to hang out? Like I don't really have you seen the amount of money that Facebook AKA Meta is splashing on London Underground based ads to persuade us that the metaverse is really a thing. I haven't. Had, yeah, it... They're literally everywhere and through the global, you know, clear channel sort of digital displays. And each one tries to persuade you that the metaverse is really real and, you know, don't look over here as we fire 11,000 people. <laughs> and it, it, it's like, I don't even know if the metaverse is real. Yuga's trying to build that as a place to assemble and has to make it fun and has Mm. to do it in an immersive way with avatars and stuff and i I don't know how that and make it a game and tell a story around it that's so hard so hard to pull off like it's hard enough getting people to to hang out on on twitter or to go to discord or to go into reddit reddit's the only one that's easy to get people to go to to go into twitter spaces or to hang out in what's that thing called the call-in not the thing before calling
1: that, yeah, no one knows club the club, clubhouse club, clubhouse it's um, hard
0: enough to get people to assemble in a place because they'd like to they'd much rather just do whatever it is their habits are, I mean, why would you do your thing, but this time in a smellless, tasteless, pointless online world where you have to wear something
1: to mm-hmm. do it, so I take it it is consolidation and it's not necessarily the thing that we'd all love to see. However, I'd rather it's Yuga that acquire them than like Facebook. And I also think the reason I said that it's a good thing for Yuga is I think it's probably quite hard to find like y- Yuga for all it's like publicity isn't like a lot of people, you know, like CryptoPunks and meebits they bought the rights to, but they didn't get What's his name, John? And the other one from Lava Labs—they have just got a bunch of NFTs, <laughs> you know. So it's not like they've grown their talent pool. And I think, I think they're onto something here. They've got some talented people, some good storytellers, designers, people who know how to, and also yeah. people who know how to manufacture the partnerships. Right? The fact that they've got the partnerships—they've they've managed to land as so we knew is bringing about twenty people, you know, and it brings Yuga's full-time staff. To only a hundred. <laughs> wow. That's okay, I didn't realise they were that oh, small. But yeah, you wait, what? How are they yeah. building anything? Like so remind, let's remind ourselves briefly. Like <laughs> let's, let's remind
0: ourselves briefly of Yuga's valuation.
1: How many people did Facebook let go last month?
0: Oh there we like, go. Yes, valued at four billion dollars. So that's a hundred people valued at four billion dollars. WhatsApp territory
1: where whatsapp do you when
0: whatsapp was 20 people <laughs> and it was valued at yeah.
1: 8 billion uh 12 wasn't it was right. it 12 uh, 8 yeah but did you see bernard arno became temporarily very briefly the richest man in the world i don't richest know what you're talking about he's the founder and ceo of lvmh uh ah. he temporarily pipped elon musk and then some stock market things changed and he dropped back below, but he was for a very short amount of time the richest person in the world. My point around luxury goods in this market and their transition to the digital realm is it still stands. I think actually smart acquisition by Yuga and something that Facebook and a lot of the game companies will just really struggle to do. They just don't think don't think anyone's really tapped into that from a, a kind of game metaverse play, so I think it's a good move. Speaking of entities which are all dead, so nothing to see here, a bunch of them went to Christie's, including the ones that we were talking about the other day, the um Art Gobblers. No <laughs> I don't know if they went. Um no the uh remember the OG crystals and they had the yeah. the project, the uh Life in Our Minds one. yeah uh, that collection has gone and is being auctioned at Christie's along with forty nine others so it's it's not a big story, but I think even even in the moment where it seems like crypto's probably on the ropes n f t s probably gone a bit stale and a bit dead from an art perspective, I think they're still moving, right? There's still collectors and curators who who have really just got behind this. I think I tweeted about this, basically saying that. If this had happened in peak NFT hype, it would have, like, blown up the internet. Mm. Unfortunately, and you can tell how much of a rut we're in because no one even realized. But Christie's, they're not just auctioning a CryptoPunk. They're literally doing a full NFT digital art, 50 different projects, digital artwork auction. It's normal now. It's just a thing that they do alongside painting, sculptures, and all the other things in their collection. I thought that was quite a watershed moment, but just had, literally did not move the needle. It just got swept the, under the carpet. So that I think is to get literally get an auctioned as we speak. So let's see what they go for. Mad.
0: Well, I wonder when it was planned, but still, it's good.
1: Mm, that's probably true. Well, Noah, who joined Non-Fungible Noah, I forget what his surname is. He joined Yuga. <laughs> He's one of a hundred from Christie's, and he was the one who headed up getting the first CryptoPunk auction there. So I think within the Christie's roadmap and I guess within their cultural DNA now, they they see themselves as being a player in the digital artwork space. So you're right, you're right. It probably was a long time coming, this piece. Yeah. um, It's good to see.
0: Almost the cynical take on it is that once a corporate internalizes and recruits staff for the blockchain position, the NFT position, regardless of markets going up or down, you end up with um, projects and work streams that just trundle along. So in this case, mm. NFT has seen the advent of digital art. They recruited a lot of NFT savvy people. Mm. And then regardless of whether it's a particularly fashionable time for NFTs right now, they will have NFT season, big big auction, 50 mm. different items. It's just kind of got to happen. That's a weird thing about, I guess, the way that corporate recruiting cycles uh, wildly out of sync or oblivious of market
1: cycles true but i'd still be interested to see like because you don't need a lot of buyers you need me at least one buyer, <laughs> one to, buyer. To, to, to buy them what up. it'd be interesting well i guess you need at least two to have an auction it'd be interesting to see like what happens in that space because in in recessions rich people still buy art and luxury goods and fancy cars and all that stuff like it's a weird like And and not just rich people. I mean, like collectors and investors still look for other assets to put their wealth. So it's like an interesting one to just watch because in the next bull market cycle, that will be referenced. Yeah. NFTs, mainstream, Christie's, they regularly do these auctions. Digital artwork is just a thing now. You'll see it in the Tate. You'll see it in like all the major galleries. It's not just an awkward JPEG copy paste moment. So yeah, that's quite nice
0: well done on getting on on the liam thing
1: i quite like them i need to see how mine's evolved because it's um they are actually quite beautiful the artist behind it the artist the collaboration behind it they they do a good job it's not literally just a jpeg it's actually quite uh quite a nice generative art piece so yeah we'll, we'll see do you want to know what we're talking about next week what are we talking about next week I've got a whole load of topics lined up because next week, I think, will be the last one we record before the kind of New Year's and Christmas break. So I thought, like we did last year, we should have a 2022 recap and also maybe touch upon like the what were the biggest surprises that we had from the year compared to, of course, our predictions that we made at the beginning of the year. Mm. So how about it? I think I think it's good. Jonathan, it's great to have you back. Welcome back cool likewise i will uh, catch you next week see you next week started during lockdown needed something to do they looked at each other they said
0: hey i like talking to you and so from a garden shed in a box room in west london